Soldiers, what's good? Hey, this is Abdullah. I am thoroughly happy and excited to introduce our lost episode. The second half of a conversation that originally aired on October 7th, 2020, entitled, I Am Not My Hair, The Lives of Black Women. If you haven't heard that episode, please go check it out. Now, this was a conversation between one of our hosts and fellow Christian soldier, Justina Kenyi, and some of her friends. Justine, who doesn't talk about herself a lot, I'm going to brag on her. Justine is a mechanical engineer in higher ed and in ministry leadership in a local church. And uh, Justine was joined for this conversation by three amazing and accomplished sisters. So we had Jordan Harrison, a professional photographer, videographer, and content creator. We had Brianna Lawton, a PhD candidate in civil engineering. She's a creative and a budding podcaster. We also had Andrea Lowe, a high school STEM teacher and PhD candidate in higher ed and science. And lastly, we had Dr. Patience Luth, an associate professor of architecture and design at Iowa State University. As you may have heard on our post-election episode, Politics and the Christian, that aired on November 25th, 2020, there were some significant tech issues that prevented us from posting the other half of that conversation. And we got many of those technical issues fixed and we were able to piece everything back together and salvage what we hope is a pretty good recording. So the first half of this conversation that originally aired was fantastic. These women touched on subjects that you may not often hear uh, discussed aloud. And the second half, this lost episode, is, in my opinion, even better. They discussed being a black woman in academia and the workplace, um, microaggressions that are experienced in ministry spaces, having joy and sisterhood and so much more. All of that was in that first episode. In the second half of the conversation, they touch on the allyship of white women, cultural and ethnic appropriation, black fishing, dating and marriage, child rearing, and what can sometimes be a taboo subject in certain spaces, interracial dating. I promise you that this episode is worth the wait. You will want to hear from these amazing women. So we hope that you enjoy part two of I Am Not My Hair, The Lives of Black Women. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora, exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kenyi. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. Okay, ladies. So I want to talk about something that's, that's come up recently. Um, so I'm sure you're familiar with Rachel Dolezal. This was a story that happened a few years ago. Then recently, we've had Jessica Krug. We've had this one girl whose name I cannot pronounce, C.V. Vitolo Haddad. So these are non-Black women who deceptively took on Black and Hispanic identities. 
and ultimately manage to produce work, publications, and teach at institutions of higher education, all while hiding the reality that they are actually white women. Talk about code switching. Hey. <laughs> Two of these women taught and produced numerous works in Africana studies. So specifically, Rachel Dolezal and Jessica Krug, they worked in the Africana studies departments at their universities. Well, not Rachel. Rachel was a, the, the NAACP woman in, yes. in Washington State. Right. But remember in whatever universities she worked at, like she did, like she was like an Africana oh, studies right. professor. Jesus, you're right. <laughs> okay. And they are all white part. women, right? And so they are all white women taking on black identities. And they're doing this for years where people have no idea that these women are actually white. So I am curious, how do you feel about this? That's the first question. That secondly, why do you think some white women in academia do this? My first response is y'all want to be us until you got to be us. Mm. <laughs> look here. We look good. And I know we look good. Y'all always trying to meet our beauty standards. Knowing you can't, you always trying to get our dark skin. You always trying to get our hair. You always trying to look like us. But y'all never want to live like us. So you don't want to have the negative. You always want to have all the positives. So you want to be praised for how long, how young you look. Because I know everybody on here has been told, oh, you look so good. You look so young. You don't look like your age. Yeah, so you want that. But you don't want the, the systemic oppression. You don't want to have anybody coming at you telling you you're not qualified because you're a black woman. You want to be able to tick that white box on all of those forms. But you sure don't want so but you want the opportunity to appeal to us. And I think that is that is so indicative of how we as a society have turned blackness into something that's marketable mm. is marketable white people have taken it and they've made blackness marketable so Marketing. i can get you and i can make you some money and i can make you famous if you pretend to be black it's a formula it's a doggone formula now you got even black people out here who are like i can hit the formula i can be a rapper i can be this i can be that and i can make bunches i can make buku money and then i can just sit back and let my money make money and i can be white when i leave and i can be black and sell it to you you just worked the ribs just now huh you just worked the ribs you 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 just put them up against the up, up against the ropes and like body blow, body blow, body blow, body blow. <laughs> Ooh, sweet Jesus. Yeah, I just want to add and say I kind of saw that that um, situation or these women as on from an educational perspective. I saw that as like we have the phrase what robbing Peter to pay Paul. I kind of saw that as they are literally like robbing a culture, robbing a people, robbing an identity, whatever you want to call it. And when the paying Paul part is like, I'm going to take away whatever knowledge. Because if you, if you guys see 
these three women, if, I, if I'm correct, they went into education. Education is very powerful. It's knowledge. When you go and you're teaching people and you're now taking that away from people that already don't know a lot about their education or about their identity or about history. And so it's like, I'm going to control the narrative even more. I saw that as very like disgusting. I saw it as very like controlling. I'm like, wow. And I believe one of these ladies, she even had nerve to teach at, if I'm correct, a P, um, an HBCU. So that was even more disgusting. I was just like, wow, like this is crazy. And so it was just like a slap in the face, the fact that, you know, someone is in the educational system, you know, writing papers, publishing, whatever it is, writing novels, whatever they did. And I don't, I haven't read their works. I don't want to read it, honestly, (laughs) but it's like, I wonder if they even lied or changed the narrative because it's like, what is, what do you get out of doing that? You know, you get me. And maybe to give, let's, let's say to play devil's advocate, let's say they were like, oh, well, they wouldn't have accepted me if I was white trying to do it. No, I feel like we actually would have accepted them because it's like, you're trying to be an ally. You're trying to help us out. You're trying to, you know, spread the knowledge among the community. So I think they just honestly hurt themselves by like putting on this black fishing, black face situation which they could have honestly avoided and probably did more work and got more accolades rather than like pretending they were black women. So I don't know, but yeah, I echo what Andrea said. And then like the whole like education, I think they were just trying to maybe even control that narrative. So. Jordan. I don't, I'm not familiar with the other two women that you mentioned, but Rachel Dolezal, I was very familiar with that story because there was, I think a Netflix, documentary or something that came out and when it came out I was like oh I'm gonna watch that one it's got a micro brazen and everything yes (laughs) and I remember watching it and getting to the end of it and still not understanding like her reasoning or it still didn't make sense to me and with hers at least throughout this documentary she just kept saying, like, I just feel like I, I, I'm black and I've never identified or been able to identify as white. And um, I don't know if there's, I think she had some family issues with her and, you know, didn't have a good relationship with them. But she even has a black son. And in the documentary, the son didn't even fully understand like, why she was portraying herself the way that she was, and he's fully black. I think he was adopted, but I, I don't know. I still can't wrap my head around that one and make make it make sense. I, I agree with everyone else. I think uh, Brianna or Andrew, you said black fishing. I was like, ah, that's that's a good phrase for it, black fishing, like cat fishing, but trying <laughs> 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 to be black instead. Um, so the phrase. I wish people loved black people as much as they love black culture is what I was saying. Um, and I think that just kind of comes to mind in that, you know, there, um, when it comes to our culture and different attributes and aspects that are marketable and profitable to people, quote unquote, um, people want to capitalize off of those. But when it comes to issues that black people face, and it's not really, you know, they can set that aside or, you know, put down the, um, 
the blackface, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think for me, what was very intriguing about all three situations was how long these women were able to succeed in their academic work without being discovered. And actually, I believe for the final two that came out this year, like they self-disclosed, like it wasn't like someone else outed them, like they like self, like they just said, hey, I've been doing this. I'm sorry. I apologize. So I wonder why that's the case. Patience, you work in academia. What's your take on this? You know, um, I did not say this. A uh, prominent black woman in, at, in our, my institution said this, um, that people are inherently racist. Um, so a prominent um, black woman in my institution said this. Sorry, patients, can you just start over? Maybe that's what you were doing. Yeah, you're like just a little far, too far from the mic, so it's not picking up very loudly. I'm just, I'm just relaxed. Oh, I know. You're over there chilling. <laughs> Patience, we need you to be loud. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Time to be loud, I'm telling you. Um, so uh, there's a prominent black woman in my institution that said this, not me. Um, people are racist. But people are also threatened by blackness. So she told me, as a black woman, know that people are threatened by you, by your intelligence, and also by your confidence. So now, y'all can take this or leave this. The only reason why someone would want to change their identity. Oh my goodness, I'm still kind of recovering from this, you know, from what you said, Tina. But the only reason why I think anyone would want to change their identity is that they, are, they were threatened by the black women around them. Because these are black women. Mm -hmm. They're threatened by the black women around them who supposedly were rising up and supposedly had the opportunities, right, um, in terms of, you know, because especially now we have the black population has really began to shine, I believe. And we're really beginning to, to see that, you know what, if we support one another, you know, if we're unified, then nothing can really destroy us. And so by being a part of that number, so to speak, put them at an advantage in some way, and they just milked it for all it could give them. Wow. It, it's, and again, I, I think, and I'm, again, taking the words of uh, this black professor who said, you know what, they, they feel threatened. And if someone feels threatened, what do they do? They can either get you, right? So, for example, a lot of people feel threatened by Africa. Which, if anyway, just re read on that. But a lot of people feel threatened by Africa and where Africans can go and do, and the possibilities, the resources. Oh my goodness! If only if Africa was united, right? Think about that, <laughs> right? Then how far could we go? So being part of that number, NAACP. Think of the places that they targeted. Right? They want to be wanted to be part of that, but they took it to another level. 
They're like, let, let, let me reap mm-hmm. all the benefits of being part of this community. Yeah, they wrote they, books. And they saw the benefits of being part of a community. They weren't benefiting by being maybe part of their community. So they saw how black people benefit by unifying with um, unifying. So I want to be part of that. And I want to make money, <clears throat> milk it. Oh my mm. goodness. That's Let's crazy. Go. That's crazy. Yes. We're going to keep chugging along. So I recently had coffee with a friend of mine who happens to be white and she works Jordan, she's actually in your field. So she's a creative, a photographer, a videographer. And she shared with me how she really desires to be an ally for communities of color, you know, specifically for African-Americans. But she shared with me that she does not have any black female friends. And so she was asking me, Justine, how can I go about meeting women of color, specifically black women I can see heads shaking, eyes rolling. Well, here's the thing. Before everybody else answers, just... (laughs) Okay. It's frustrating in the sense that you don't want to take this on as a project. (laughs) I mean, just on the... Obviously, you ladies are going to answer on the the female perspective, but just on the... Oh, my gosh. Okay. We got to stop taking on projects. Okay. In, in, in the name of allyship. Okay. Just, just be a friend. Honestly, be, want to have a relationship with someone else and get to know someone else. But Without don't do the it as an allyship. But, but I don't know. It's, it's the idea that, that, I'm somebody's way of learning about a new world. Just, I don't know that yeah. it's, it's working on me. So anyway, that was, <laughs> sorry. So just, Andres, it's kind of like trying to use someone like, oh, I want to learn about race, you know, like racism and racial justice. So I'm going to go find me a friend of color. Yeah, go to Netflix. If you don't do that, I mean, white people Wikipedia, who are listening. Just, I mean, <laughs> there's resources for that. You can, you don't need to, you know, yes. I mean, anyway, I'm sorry. And your good friend, Google, white people who are listening to this yeah. podcast, do not do that. Don't treat people of color like Google. There is Google already. Okay. Ladies, your take. Can I ask a, a clarification, clarification question? Yes. Were they... They, they were asking to how to make black women friends to become an ally or they just wanted to become friends with black women. Okay. So I believe her desire is to meet women of color and to be their friends, but this is from an outbirth of wanting to become racially aware. Does that make sense? So there's a reason that right now in 2020, she is desiring to have black friends and that's an outbirth of her desire to become racially aware. <laughs> so Andrea. I have a question. <laughs> you you want to go Andrea or you want Yeah. Uh, Please I'll, let her go. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'll echo. I already know. <laughs> if it's 2020 and you are still racially unaware, <laughs> I need you to just go back to sleep. 
Oh, <laughs> I got, I got no help for you. Like, just go back to sleep. Go crawl in a hole somewhere and just go back to sleep. Cause I, I don't have any advice for you. <laughs> y'all see, this is why I can't look at y'all. <laughs> I don't understand. Okay, so I wanna... like, I'm trying to help you, but I can't help you because go, just go back to sleep. I'm done. I'm done. So I see it like this. I see it as I honestly think she's asking the wrong question. I think she's asking a question of like, oh, where are the black girls at? So I want to like become an ally. It should honestly, I see it as two things. One should be, you should actually be looking for your white friends that are racist so you can educate them and like change their minds. That's one. I believe like it always starts with your own community because her coming into like to have to befriend black women, like what everybody has kind of said, you can learn that off of like, you know, there's so many like um, documentaries out now. There's so many books like you don't need to be a quote-unquote friend with someone to learn these things and go now go ahead and teach your like white friends that may be racist or that don't have any white um black women of color friends and so that's one thing and then two I feel like any black woman I don't know maybe this is just me I I have a radar of when I know people are like literally trying to use me to be an ally I'm like no and I literally <laughs> shut down I'm like nope <laughs> like, like I shut down. I'm like, you're not getting anything here because I know like that's your intention. Like I have a little radar, like I can pick it up real quick. And I'm like, no, this person doesn't really care about me. They just want to ask me like about my hair or about like, you know, where I'm from, what food I eat, stuff like that. Like I had a, um, bless her soul. I, I don't even want to call her out like that, but I had a roommate and, uh, an older, old, old roommate from years ago. And y'all, I'm unapologetic about my bonnet. I wear my bonnet, okay? Like, I don't care who I'm around. If you're in my house, I'm wearing my bonnet. So she came home and I was cooking with my bonnet looking real stereotypical. (laughs) 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 And she was like, she was like, hey, like, I've never seen your hair. What's under there? And I'm like, hair, like, what do you mean? And she's like, I mean, I've never seen it styled. And I'm like, I mean, you're not going to unless I'm outside. I wear my bonnet inside the house. And she was like, well, my boyfriend, a.k.a. he's white. Her boyfriend's Nigerian, y'all. Oh, boy. thought this was the basis for her to ask this question. She was like, well, my boyfriend's from Nigeria. And he said that black women's hair doesn't grow. And I was like, Y'all, the silence right now, that is the silence that I had. And I was just like, Lord Jesus, how am I going to respond to this? <laughs> oh, God. And I, I my had to response, just, You want to know my response? My response is, that's nice. I'm glad your Nigerian boyfriend knows all black people. Bye. So I was like, you know what? I was like, first of all, I was like, black woman's hair grows, okay? Like, phenomenally grows like there's different lengths there's different textures it grows I was like first of all for you to even think that did you go to biology class because every human being hair grows like just because the rate of the how fast the hair grows that's different we can we can make a case but the fact that you sit here and you think that like what we're just all bald 
So that was my first piece. Then the second piece oh. was she put it on her boyfriend because I low-key knew her boyfriend. And I went up to him because unapologetically, I was like, this is what your girlfriend said. And I really don't think you said this. And he was like, no, I literally just told her that like, my, my sister's hair is um, short. And I'm like, wow, look how that went from sister's hairs are short to all black women's hair doesn't grow. Uh, so <laughs> she, yeah, she really wanted to ask you some racist stuff. But, and, and so when you checked her and pulled her car by, oh, yeah, I asked your boyfriend. Then she was mm-hmm. kind of shook. Oh, yeah, she was definitely shook. Like, she was just like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. And I was like, you know what? It, it, listen, you didn't hurt my feelings. You didn't hurt any black woman's feelings because we know the hair that's on top of our head is a crown. So, amen. <laughs> I'm sorry, but maybe it, what was crazy, y'all? I'm going I'm to say this piece and I'm done. She was like, yeah, we're planning on getting married. And, y'all, I had to take the jab. I'm sorry. I was like, <laughs> Hair not gonna grow. <laughs> and then she was looking at me like, uh, and I was like, you see how you don't make sense? <laughs> well, you said that about the kids. Girl. That's girl, she did. I was like, your, your kids, they're not gonna grow since so you think black women hair doesn't grow. I mean, your, your husband's gonna be a black man, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's my piece, I'm done, but yeah. <laughs> Patience, I'm curious if you can just quickly talk about what would you say to specifically white women who desire to just have black female friends? You know, like if you have a white woman who's like, I really, I exist in spaces where everyone around me is white. What can I do to meet or befriend women of color, specifically black women? Wow. Um, I would say your, for me, it's about your heart. If, do you really want to have a friend who is a black woman? Do you really want to do, I would really seriously ask, which means that, you know, um, and, and if you, for, for me, the way I was raised, um, in, 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 my, in our community or in our culture, we are like this. Whether you are white or black, actually, I have a white friend right now who we have adopted into our family. Okay? I mean, not literally, because she's older. <laughs> but she's that kind of person who is herself and who loves, right? So, so her heart is not to say, Oh, I, I just want black friends. Her heart is, hey, I like you. And can I talk to you? And it's not as, it's not as if she was trying to have an African family. She really wasn't. And in fact, she wasn't trying to go to Africa either. She was like, <laughs> I am not going to Africa. But she, she ended up there. And now she's part of our family. And we talk on a regular basis. She's my sister's best friend, right? And my mom calls her a daughter. She didn't, again, she, did, she didn't go out seeking black women as a friend. I, I think that in, just that is a problem. If you're trying to seek out black, a black woman to be a friend. I, I don't know how else to answer this. 
you know, but that actually kind of rubs me the, the wrong way. If someone came to me and said, I, I, I'm trying to seek out black women. Can I be your friend? <laughs> you know, that, that'd be weird. <laughs> but if I meet you and we connect or click in a way and we do eventually become friends, then great. But I'm not going to force the issue, you know, so. Good, man, y'all, these discussions are so good, but time, <laughs> time is a factor. Mm. Okay, so on the context of white so, women. Hold up, Andrea had her hand up for a second. I'm, I'm sorry, okay. can she? Yeah. All I want to say is, I know I was mean. My first comment was mean. <laughs> I don't take it back, though. But, <laughs> um, look, if you want to genuinely meet people, you have to intentionally put yourself in spaces where you can meet people. If you exist in lily white spaces, guess what you're not going to meet? You're not going to meet anybody who doesn't look lily white. So you have to find spaces where people look different from you. That means you got to try a black church. Ugh, shock and amazement. Um, or go to a club that you don't normally go to. Go to a comedy night where you have black comics. Go shop at a store that is owned by somebody who doesn't look like you. Do things, be involved in a community that doesn't look like you. That's the only way you're going to meet people who don't look like you is to go to those spaces. I'm not going to walk around and be like, I need to meet somebody who looks Mexican because I need to learn about Mexican people. Look, I can read a book. I can look stuff up online and I can talk to the friends that I do have. Okay. That's, that's how you grow. That's how you learn. Number one. But then if you want to meet people, it's like dating. You're not going to date anybody. If you stay at home all the time, you have to go somewhere where there are guys who might be single. So <laughs> get off your duster and go find some people who don't look like you. Because that, to me, is a really annoying question. And if somebody were to ever ask me that question, I think I would probably just walk away and never answer the question. Awesome. Jordan, did you have something to share or what's... Yeah, just one quick thing, and I know it's short in time, but I think it's also important to, to reflect on and consider like why the spaces that you do have and are in are homogenous. Why there aren't people of color coming to your spaces is in a way like is the the vibe or the way are you are you all welcoming to people of color? If there are people of color that were just passing by or through your spaces, would they feel welcome to stay there and engage with you and become your friend? I think, you know, because even if you do befriend someone, I think part of deepening friendships and relationships is inviting people into your spaces. And if they don't feel welcome in those spaces, I don't think they'd see a reason to stay or invite more people. So. Yeah, that's good. You know, and when I was having this conversation with my friend, she specifically talked about her church and she shared how um, they do not have people of color or black people in their church and their church is humongous. It's a very big church, but it's also very white. And I said, Hey, your leadership might want to consider the culture that you have at your church. 
because probably people of color are visiting your church, but they're not staying because you have a culture that does not support them being rooted and being retained in those spaces. Okay, so on the concept of white women, can some of you just quickly talk about how can white women be allies for black women? And the reason I'm asking this is because a lot of our listeners are actually white women. So do you have any specific ways that white women can be allies for us? Is this even a necessity? Do we need them to be allies? Yes, I say yes. Um, because if we're, if we're talking about it, mm, yeah, I would say globally. So I was going to stick, stick to like an Afro- um, American perspective, but even globally, like I would say, yes, white women, white men, anyone basically non-black, you can be an ally. Black people be an ally for your own people because um, at least if we're talking about in the context of America, just the way our system is set up systematically, you know, racist, all of that built off of racism, you need the oppressor to step in and like do their part as well if they want to dismantle it. So I don't think to some extent, I feel like black people or African-American people can only do so much because the system was, is controlled by the um, the or not even majority anymore, but the system is controlled and set up by the person who was the oppressor. So you need the oppressor to dismantle what they created. Um, so yeah, in short, I would say white women, white men, whomever, you need to step up to the plate and start doing your part, playing your part. Um, and I would say that's just in like, going back to educating yourself, educating your people. Like people just think that, oh, if I'm friends with a black person, check the box and I'm good. Like, no, what does that even mean? Like, no, it's like going back to the issue, which is probably where you say the N-word behind closed doors with your families, what it is like supporting a black business, what it is when you call out, you know, racism that you see in the grocery store at at work. um, You know, we've said many accounts where people like have experienced racial, you know, slurs or racial experiences in the workplace, educate um, academia, speaking up in those spaces and saying like, hey, you know, that wasn't nice or I wasn't nice when I thought it like that or if I perpetuated this idea of X, Y, Z about this black person. So I think, you know, trying to check the box and say, oh, I'm friends with a black person. That's not really even going to solve anything. Like you need to start voicing your or using your voice, using your quote unquote power to really like change the narrative in the spaces that you're in. And I see that that's the starting point for everybody. Like, that's just the starting point. Um, That's really good. Um, This is patience. I've been forgetting to say that, but this is patience. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer um, that there are generational things that are passed on. Whether you personally did or did not enslave people doesn't matter. The, the thing is that as you, as you live life, right, you'll find that there are certain things that you do or say, certain ways that you act that reflect even a great, great, great grandparent, whether you know it or not. So I'm a firm believer that these things, um, even racism, can be passed down generationally. Um, and so I really feel that first of all, the first thing to do is to recognize your own racism. If, if you come at me saying, I want to be your friend and I'm not racist, there's a big problem there. 
right? But if you come to me and, and, and tell me, as one white male said, that I am so-and-so and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a race, I'm a recovering racist, right? I'm like, it's like kind of a double-A type meeting <laughs> that he was, but no, it was kind of introducing himself in that racist way. Anonymous. Just, racist anonymous. <laughs> RA meeting, right? So if you come to me in that way, though, I'd say, oh, okay, tell me more. And so, first of all, recognize your own racism. Second, um, secondly, hear, listen. Listen to black people's stories. Listen to black stories. Because they're not fake. If you come thinking that you're going to be a friend of a black woman and disregard her stories and say, oh, that couldn't have happened and try to justify what someone else, another um, white uh, woman or, or man may, may have said to her, there's a big problem there. You, you're, not, you're not ready. You're not ready, right? So, so those are the two things. Recognize your own racism and then listen. And you'd be on, a, on the path to being quite a nice ally. Um, in addition to the things that y'all have said so far because obviously education is is a big thing for all of us but um, educate yourself but stop weaponizing your whiteness Um, I think that is one of the biggest things that anytime that we are in professional settings the, the white tears come out. So every time that we try to bring up a point, and, and this goes back to the trope of being the angry black woman, you try to bring up a point and you try to express a frustration or you try to express something that is contrary to what everyone and everyone else in the room may be thinking. And all of a sudden, the tears come out and it's, oh, well, I didn't really mean that. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And, and then it becomes all about you. I was trying to express a frustration and now you have turned this, the situation all the way around and made me into the aggressor because now everybody is sympathizing with your white woman tears. Mm. I care not for your white woman tears. This is a problem that I have. Anytime a white person starts crying out around me, I'm very tempted to just walk away because I don't have the time to sit here and process your fragile whiteness with you and why you are weaponizing your tears to shut me down. And it's very frustrating. So educate yourself, but also recognize that your whiteness is prized, your white womanhood is prized above everything else. White men die defending your white womanhood. It's like a badge of honor to go die in the name of your white womanhood. And so you start crying and the whole world gets shut down. So stop weaponizing your whiteness and sit back. And sometimes you just got to sit and shut up. So good. Andrea, wow. when you were talking about how white men will die to protect white womanhood, it made me think about the Emmett Till case. And 
for, so listeners, something that we try to do on our podcast is we sometimes will suggest books and we've suggested White Fragility. The author has a whole chapter on white women's tears. So if you're not so sure what Andrea was talking about, that book breaks it down really well. Okay, y'all. So, you know, we're, we're talking about like allyship and friendship and patients talked about friendship. And I'm wondering as black women, I'm curious, do we do a good job of building relationships with women of other ethnicities? Or is there a fear and a jadedness that plagues us in this area of building friendships with women of different cultures and backgrounds? I think it can depend on your context and your kind of um, experience growing up. So for me, I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood and went to diverse elementary school. And so when it came to befriending um, women or just people in general of different races, it, it wasn't like a, a task or a challenge. Um, there weren't any, I guess, barriers or like um, even notions I had um, in my own mind that I put up or like the fences of like, mm, I don't know if that's the best decision. Um, but I have, you know, heard stories from people and um, seen things even on social media where black women have been very hesitant to befriend um, people of other races, um, even just, you know, white women or um, women of other, other races. And they seem to express that it's because of a almost like a defensive or a defense kind of like they don't want to be hurt or um, that seems unsafe if they're, especially if they're the only black woman in that space. I think that can be um, intimidating. And I even noticed too, um, you know, having grown up in a diverse neighborhood and my high school was predominantly black. And then I come to Iowa State University um, I think once I came here, I started to um, look more intently for um, other Black women to surround myself with and befriend. Um, and, you know, I still made friends with people who were not Black women. But um, I think, yeah, it was kind of a different experience when I was younger and in diverse spaces, it was easier. But I think it depends on, yeah, the context you kind of grow up in and your experiences that you kind of have. Yep. <laughs> um, I want to say, I think it's hard. Um, and not hard in a relational way. Because when we get together, it's like you and it that also depends on the type of people that you're around. But a lot of times when we come together, it's like home. It's like you just get this automatic feeling of home. Um, as an example, Anytime that I'm around any of the ladies on this call, I get that feeling of just home. Like it feels good to be in your presence. So relationally, it's not difficult for us to get together. But time, oh my goodness. Black women are some of the, I feel like, and if there's a study that's been done on this, please tell me where it is because I feel like it's true anyway. But I feel like Black women are some of the busiest people on the planet. And so this idea of spontaneity, let's just get together. Oh, no, honey, that's got to be in the calendar. 
Mm. If it's not in the calendar, it's not about to happen. And so I just think that the time, the lack of time in our day, we've got kids, we've got spouses, we've got this organization that we belong to and this organization, excuse me, organization. And we've got, you've got three PhD or two, three PhD candidates on this call. You've got three PhD candidates here. When did you have time to breathe? PhDs or PhD candidates. And so, you know, you, when do you have time to breathe? You have all of these things that you're trying to put in place. You're trying to be the voice of reason on so many different committees. And you have been raised, most of us have been raised with this, this, this feeling of, I've got to do this because it's for the good of the community. And I'm, I need to uplift my community. And this is one way that I can do it. So I can't say no, because then I'm letting people down. And I can't let people down, so I have to say yes. But then I don't have any time for me. And us getting together is literally just for us. It's not for y'all. don't care about y'all, them husbands, them kids, all them other people. None of y'all. This is not for (laughs) y'all. This is for us. But we don't have time for us because all of this list of commitments that we have. And I'm t- I can tell you, for me, I've had to say no. To, I have learned the art of saying no. There's, like I said on my bio, I got like three things that I'm really committed to. And everything else is like, bye-bye. But that's a, it's a learned behavior. And that's a behavior that most of us have not learned. So we just... Like I said, relationally, we're great. We get together, we have this time, and we are awesome in that space. But there's never enough time in the day. Wow. That's good. I've never thought about it in that way, Andrea. Thanks for sharing. Okay. So ladies, when it comes to marriage, dating, and motherhood, we're kind of all in different stages and stations of life. For those of us who are dating and or single, or if you've dated in the past, so if you're married, I'm assuming you dated someone before you got married. Does race and ethnicity play a part in this for you? The reason I'm asking this is because, again, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about Black women when it comes to dating, relationships, and marriage. So are you saying that do they play a role in our decision making? Yes. I would say out the gate, yes. Because and kind of ties back into our last question with the like why you're not friends with maybe other races or whatever. Um, because you want to you want someone who can relate to you. Um, I think that's honestly any anybody, like whether no matter what race you are, but especially as a black woman. Like, I always wanted someone who could understand my quote-unquote plight, the plight of a Black woman, right? So, like, I need someone who I don't have to explain why I wear my bonnet, (laughs) you know? Like, I need someone who I can talk to about, like, oh, yeah, well, at work, you know, they they gave me this sneer, you know, comment. Can you believe that? Stuff like that. Um, 
even like my identity, you know, my culture, all those things. And not saying that I don't mind sharing that with someone outside of my um, race because I have dated outside of my race. I'm very flexible with that. But my personal opinion of whom I wanted to marry has always been a black man, always. Um, and I just believe in like, you know, nothing against people who marry outside of their race. You know, you can do that. But I feel like, you know, it, it shows you a sense of who you are. When, when you have that confidence in like who you are, your identity, your culture, it's like, why wouldn't you marry your own race? So I kind of see it like that because if I'm kind of how I feel is like, if you marry, you know, outside of your race or date outside of your race, it's kind of like, are you looking for something else? <laughs> like, are you looking for something different? Like, because it's like, what's, what's not satisfying you in your own race? That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Interesting. Ooh. All right. Uh, part of... So the short answer is yes. Doesn't matter. Yes. Um, and I'm not opposed to dating outside of your own ethnic background, whatever that may be. I'm not opposed to it. Um, you can do whatever you want to. <laughs> Obviously, I don't have a say in what other people choose to do. But I think that one of the things that people don't do when they get into those types of relationships is actually investigate what's going on in their own heads and hearts when they get into those relationships. So every time that I see somebody, um, particularly, and it's true of other ethnicities as well, but particularly when you have a white person dating a black person, the first thing I think is, did y'all have a race conversation yet? Yep. Like, did you just jump into this relationship and go, I love you and you're so amazing and I really want to spend my life with you, but I don't want to talk about race with you. Like, so that's my first question is, have you had a race conversation? And if you haven't, I'm very sorry for you because when it comes up, it's going to hurt your feelings. Um, so while I'm not opposed to it, I think most people just don't do the work for it. So it doesn't really work out. Um, and so I have a couple of friends who are in relationships where one person's white, one person's black. And the conversations that I've had with them, um, they've at least taken the time to have hard conversations. Okay, my parents, how are my parents going to respond to the fact that I'm bringing that as a white woman that I'm bringing this black man home? How are my parents going to respond to that? How are your parents going to respond to that? <laughs> to you bringing this little white girl home? How are they going to respond to that? So those are conversations that need to be had. From my own personal background, I was point blank told, if you bring a white person home, I will shoot them. So don't bring no white boys in my house. It's pretty clear cut. Don't do that. Um, that position changed as I got older, but when I was younger, that was the position. Don't bring no white boys home. Um, so it's always been in the forefront for me. That has 
always been there. Um, my grandfather chased my aunt's boyfriend away with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Your grandpa's a thug. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> um, so she literally chased him off the property with the shotgun. My dad, my dad was a gun owner. My dad showed. Now, granted, I had a black boyfriend at this point, but he showed his gun collection to my boyfriend. And just want, just want to make the point clear. So this is the family I come from. They're serious when they say they will chase people away with shotguns. So it's, it, as has been said, it really depends on where you're from. It really depends on your background and what is tolerable to your people. Because your people raised you. And if they raised you in that level of intolerance, then that's, what's, that's what you're used to. And that's for anybody. That's across all backgrounds. That level of intolerance is also present in white families. You know whether or not your parents are going to flip their lids if you bring a black person home. You know this. And in most cases, you do it because they're going to flip out, which is another irritation for me. We fetishize, or white people fetishize, black skin to the point where they're like, let me see how far I can push the envelope. How far can I annoy my family and tick them off and really goad them? I don't really even want to date this person. I just want to get a reaction. So there's that aspect. And there's the fetishization of um, mixed race kids. People want, I've heard people say, I just want a mixed baby because their hair is so beautiful. And I just want to be able to play with their hair. Can you have several seats? <laughs> Can you please have several seats? Um, so... I just, I, it's a huge factor for most people, but they don't realize it until they actually have to sit down and have a real in-depth conversation about why does it even matter? And then all of a sudden, all these things from your childhood start coming out. Oh, Black people are like this. Mexican people are like this. Indian people are like this. White people are like this. All of that stuff starts coming out if you would ever sit down and have the conversation. Burden patience, anything? Um, I would say for me, um, well, when I was in middle school, I think about in middle school, I remember my mom telling me, like, just kind of joking me, but she was like, yeah, I have a feeling you're probably going to marry someone from, like, a different country or, like, different culture, something like that. Um, I don't remember, like, her reasoning why, but she was like, I have a feeling. But um, for me, I've always been open to dating like outside of my race but I feel like as I've gotten older it's become like a a requirement like if that were to happen um 
I wouldn't want to be an educator of that person. Like, I don't want to be fetishized or be the, uh, or tokenized, you know, in a relationship um, and have to, you know, oh, explain. I don't want to be the, the black person that they know and that teaches them about um, black issues or, you know, just non whatever their races issues. Um, and so I think if that were to happen, I've never dated outside of my race. So if I were to, yeah, I would, that would have to be, that's like the threshold or the standard. Like you have to be doing that work before we're in a relationship of like, you know, not just doing the work, like, because you suddenly become interested in me, but that's like part of your, what your your either personality or your, your character to learn about, you know, people different from you um, and educate yourself about um, different issues. Um, but I feel like right now I'm in the mindset of when I think about marriage, because I want to be married someday. I think especially like the way 2020 has turned out, I just want to marry a black man. Like that's just, I just want to marry a soulful black man. That's like my, my ideal right now. And I think, yeah, I think Brownie kind of mentioned earlier, just like that kind of not necessarily like ease, because of course every relationship and marriage has, you know, it's um, conflicts or struggles and issues, but that kind of comfort of being able to be with someone who gets it and understands and who you could just look at and they understand like either what you've gone through, what you're going through, what you're experiencing. Um, I think that just sounds really, really good, especially (laughs) through the year we've been through. Um, I think that level of comfort and familiarity, I think too, I think black love is beautiful. Um, I was listening to something and I think they, it was about um, different types of resistance. And they said, black love is like an act of resistance. And, you know, when you think about like this historically, like how black families have been pulled apart, I think it is beautiful when you have strong black families and healthy black families. So. Yeah. Just a quick shameless plug here for Jordan. If you are a black single man who loves to garden, Jordan is single. (laughs) I do want to have a small farm or like just urban garden, urban garden. I love it. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) And she she said, well, the the way 2020 is set up. (laughs) Honestly. Right. Yes. Patience. Did you have something you wanted to add? Well, as you know, I am married to an African man a black African man, you know, there, there are some white Africans. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. As, as kind of, kind of piggybacking off of what Jordan said, I am glad that in the year 2020, <laughs> I am married to a, to a black man. Um, I, I, you know, when, before I got married, I've been married almost 20 years now. Um, and so before I got married, I would have, I would have um, married anybody, I think. Right. And I'm not going to lie. I did have thoughts of, oh, if I do marry a white man, then my kids will look a certain kind of way. Or if I do, you know, but I found that um, 
man, thank God that I just focused on my education, truthfully. I mean, this is, this is what I'm thinking. Because if I had just married any sort of person or anybody or just anyone who came along, I, I don't know where I'd be right now. I, I may be in a very difficult situation. Because again, I was open to marrying anybody, right? And some people approached me and whatnot. I'm like, nope. You know, I'd ask them certain questions. Uh, then I'll say, nope, you know, rejecting you and stuff. Um, and so I'm, so I'm so glad that I have someone who I can talk to and they fully understand what I am saying. I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to explain why I have to, I twist my hair in the night, right? And it's okay, <laughs> you know? You know, I, I don't have to explain all that. And um, yeah, it, <sighs> I don't know what to say. Mm. Again, I, the, I have, I'm an advocate for any, any, um, any if you want to marry, outside of your ethnicity that's great you know again like i was but i can say that i'm glad that i'm married to a black man so so can i ask a couple of questions yes yes okay so um first question is would this conversation be different among black women if say two black men weren't on the phone or on the phone, on the Zoom, on the, a part of the conversation? Like, would the conversation play out differently? Are you, are you saying in regards to interracial? Should uh, we go there? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, yeah. You know how we do. Let's yeah, go okay. there. Grab the third rail, baby. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, in regards to uh, dating and ethnicity, I actually personally would prefer to marry outside my ethnicity. And the only reason I've done some self-examination, for me, the main reason is because I grew up in Kenya. I grew up in a very monocultural country. And there's just something beautiful about being with someone whose culture is different from mine. You know, so I'm like, if I married someone from like Honduras or China, I'm like, I just think it's so beautiful because like I bring my Kenyanness, and they bring whatever they're bringing. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. But similar to what Jordan said, if I am to marry someone outside my ethnicity, I would not want to be an educator. You know, I would, I would not want to be like the one who's helping you be woke. But I've also shared with Abdul and Andres before, and this is just me being very honest and very, and very vulnerable. When I think about marriage, right? You have to buy cars. You have to take your kids to school. You have to buy a house. And I'm like, when I walk into the car dealership, mm. who has better odds of getting a more appetizing car loan? White man. In the, in the context of America. Because he's honest, white men, when we're buying a house, I've actually read stories um, of when you're selling a house, typically black homes or homes that have black art, you know, black, I guess, decorations are typically 
what's 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 the name of the word? Is undervalued. It, right. Yeah. They're they're typically undervalued. Or the realtor so I, asks you to change the change the decor. Exactly. So just being honest, like I think there's parts of me that are like, okay, you know, just seem like we need to be strategic. And that sounds so bad, but that's just where I'm at. And I feel like I need to work through that in my own heart, you know, and I need to, because ultimately, if I do marry someone of a different ethnicity, I don't want it to be because, oh, you're like, you're going to benefit me in this way. Like, but I also think there's something my, very beautiful. Would you say, Andrea? I was going to say, like, you're going to improve my credit score. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to help me climb up the social structures. No, but seriously speaking, like, I just think there's something beautiful about being with someone of a different culture. Mm-hmm. We're going to see who I marry. I don't know. Um, I'm going to marry a black man. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> you just put that on Jesus' name. She's like. <laughs> like, I tell Tina this all the time. I'm like, girl, you're the first one about to marry. Say you're going to marry somebody else. I'm like, you'll be the first one marrying a black man. <laughs> okay, yo, but can I say something? Black men do not, black men do not pursue me. Only white guys pursue me. So I'm like. You're not looking at the right black men. Oh. <laughs> there you I go. I also live in Iowa, so, you know. Well, there's that. Well, there's that. And you know, white people here are just like, hey, African. <laughs> <laughs> that is Don't true. ask me why that is. Mm. That's true. Y'all know I have no filter. So I'm oh, sorry. You... <laughs> Make y'all laugh so hard. Yeah, for our <laughs> listeners, that's very true. <laughs> yes. Uh, so okay so that's that's my first question sorry go ahead somebody want to say something yeah I was just gonna you say gonna, that. yeah yeah it makes it i think it would be different but i think it would just be more of a raw conversation mm-hmm. more so than the content would be different mm-hmm. so like what brianna was saying where she was like you are gonna marry like it would be more of that kind of thing yeah <laughs> and so um i think also that we would be more forthright in some of our personal experiences um knowing that there are other people that are going to be listening to this i think we kind of hold back some of the stories that we have because chances are most of us at some point in time have thought of if not actually dated outside of our ethnicity my experience hasn't been good um i had one there was one boy in high school that i wanted to date and his parents basically told him that if he dated me they would disown him in high school Mm. um and i can't remember which um country he was from but he was from one of the um i think one of the southeast asian countries um and so i I was like, you are one of the most awesome people I've ever met. I would love to date you, that kind of thing. And he was like, my parents won't allow it. Wow. Um, just those types of experiences. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I've not had good experiences dating outside of my ethnicity. Yeah. Okay. Am I, like I said, am I open to it? Yeah, but I haven't had good experiences. So it kind of throws me off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I do want to talk quick about, um, I don't want to call it interracial dating, but I guess that's the term we use. 
so when I moved to college, I went to Iowa State. When I moved here, I noticed that a lot of black dudes almost specifically only dated white women. Now that could just be a Midwestern thing. Mm. And we have two black men on the call, <laughs> Andres Abdul, who are both married to white women. So ladies, I guess I'm just, I'm just curious, like, is that something you think about at these conversations that we're having as black women? Does it even matter? I think it matters. Oh, no, go ahead. Go Jordan, ahead. Jordan, go. Jordan, you should go. I think for me, it only matters when I hear black men say, I will only, I, I'll never date, I don't date black women or I'll only date white women. Um, and there's almost like a certain level of disgust that they say that with. And that to me is just like, I mean, yes, offensive, but also just kind of heartbreaking in a sense because it's like, your mom's black, your, your aunts, your grandmother is black. And so that to me is yeah. just when, only when the flag comes up, when there's this kind of, um, I will never date a black woman nor any woman that's not white um, when they come from, yeah, a black woman. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I've been with guys who've had this, had, who've said things like this. And I'm sure Abdul has been around guys oh, who said, yeah. oh. <laughs> you know, if you dig back, and this is no excuse, I'm not trying to justify anything, you know, but usually what comes out is that a very strong black woman <laughs> came into their life and, and they just don't want to deal with that um, anymore. For, I, I know it doesn't make any sense, but or, or it's, at it's, all. Like anymore oh. or at all. Like there, there right. <laughs> some cats that I've talked to that they like, I don't know what it is, why, where it comes from, but there's this whole pathology thing about they've never dated a black woman. And so everything they have in their head is some kind of trope or stereotype of some kind about, about some loud, domineering, overbearing black woman. And so before I even get to dating, I know that I don't want that. I, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other hot mess right there, but. Right. Yeah, I was just going to make a comment. I love Andrea a little, a little few minutes back when you made the comment saying basically like, you know, you have to self-reflect. And I think that's the first point because, you know, and Tina, you know, you mentioned like maybe the reasons why you might be looking to date like outside of your race. But I think honestly, like that introspection is very necessary. Um, even like, let's say on the flip side, like a black woman who is dating a black man. So far as for myself, like the reason why I am, I did some introspection because I want to keep that strong knit identity. I want to make sure my children know that their parents are both black. I want to reaffirm them. I want to show them black love. There's so many different reasons. So I think when people like start to date and look to seek to be married, you need to ask yourself like questions like, why am I dating this person of another culture? And some people, simply put it like oh well I think cultures are cool and it's like that's fine but really dig deep and be like you know like um the gentleman you guys too touched on maybe some some black men that they feel hurt or threatened or whatever by black women so they're like I'm not gonna date them like be be very like intentional you know be 
um, also truthful to yourself. Don't lie and say, oh, well, I just so happen to like this white woman. It's like, no, why do you like her? Because maybe you had a bad experience. Why do you like a Indian girl? Maybe because a black girl didn't accept you, you know, like be, be truthful. That's all I'm saying. I don't like it. Like what Jordan said, you know, when black men are like shaming black women or saying like, no one wants black women who wants kids with black women. And it's like, whoa, 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 don't talk about us because you had a bad experience. Like <laughs> people just put this whole monolith on like black women and how it's so bad to be with them. And I'm like, do you know how many great black women that are out there that are being in very happy black relationships, black marriages? So I just, yeah, it really upsets me like when, you know, and it's so sad because it's always black men primarily downing black women about the whole like relationship thing. So I think why it becomes really like sensitive and an issue because it's like I can understand if it was other races because who cares what they say they don't know what's really going on but like your own people are now like seeking other races and not even having a really valid reason sometimes just because they want to like down the culture or down the black woman because you had one you know situation and to me personally because maybe i just have a very persevering spirit i don't think one situation should change your whole life narrative of why you stop dating black women but you know everybody to each is their own but for you to sit there and just down a whole race because of one situation that happened to you i don't think that's valid so yeah so mm-hmm. i actually ironically enough um whenever the conversation comes up i actually advise folks not to be in interracial relationships and especially not to, to, to marry interracially. Um, and, and the reason why I do is because of everything that, everything that you guys just, just said, it's just that you have to have done a lot of your own work to really get to some things, you know, aside from, I love this person, there's a whole other mixed bag there. And part of that mixed bag is, well, do I love this person because of their, their, their otherness and some internal or like internalized inferiority or superiority stuff or, um, or, or, or some, some fetishization of either blackness or whiteness or, or Asianness or something else. So, and I have, I have found that most people don't want to do that work in themselves. And so if you don't want to do that work in yourself, well, then let's just, let me stop you right there. Then you're not ready. Like you're, you're, you're just simply not ready. So having been with my wife for 25 years, I can tell you that, that, that intercultural relationships and marriages can be a minefield. And so, and so if you're not ready to saddle up for that battle, you need to go, like Andrew said, you need to go take several seats. Very good. Okay, so Patience and Andrea, I know you really want to leave, but I want to ask you a few questions, just two questions. Patience and Andrea, you are both mothers. How do you raise your sons and daughters to have a healthy self-image despite living in a country that, of, that often tells them the opposite? Talk. <laughs> Um, don't shy away from the hard conversations. Don't try to sweep it under the rug and just ignore, um, the reality of what's going on, but kind of, you kind of have to feel your child out. How comfortable are they with the conversation? Because some conversations they're not ready for. Um, 
And so I've been feeling my son out a lot on some of the things that I've been saying. And a lot of it is because he's experienced things that he's not ready to tell me about yet. Um, He's experienced racism. He's seen firsthand what it is to be other and to be otherized. And so um, you have to be intentional about starting at a young age and just affirming like Brianna said, affirming everything about that child. You are beautiful the way you are. You are perfectly made the way you are. You were intentionally created the way you are. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, your kinky hair is not a curse. It is amazing. Your skin tone, your skin color is not a bad thing. It's nothing that you need to be ashamed of. The way you talk, the way you move, the shape of your body is different from all of your classmates. But guess what? That's the way you were created and you are created just fine the way you are. Mm. So it's just being intentional about saying that. That's That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's really good. Um, I I like um, Psalm 139. It talks about how. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made that I was knit together. So, so I was knit together. I was created. I was woven, you know? And so nothing about my children are a mistake. The way you are is how you are supposed to be. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's really telling when a child comes home, you know, my children, you know, when they're describing people when they were younger. And I, I think I've told some of you this story where they would say, oh yeah, you know, they're trying to describe one of their friends, you know, the yellowish one or the one who is pinkish, you know, and they'll be touching their cheeks pinkish, you know, they would never use the terms black or white, you know, which to me was really interesting. Um, and another child would, um, comes and says, well, why did, because this is during Martin Luther King, um, Black History Month, and they're talking about Martin Luther King Jr., um, and just talking about slavery at school, and my daughter came home concerned. At at the time, she was five, Mm. and she says, why did all the white, because they call them white, right, in school, why do all the white people kill the, or, or, or slave, I don't know what she said, but something about make them slaves. Why do you make all the black people slaves? That's not fair. Like, you know, kind of her sense of justice was coming out as a five-year-old. That's not fair. My son just recently said, you know, they think all black people look the same anyway. I won't tell you the context of the conversation, but um, that this is, this is what our black children are, are beginning to know when my daughter was six. And I, I talked about this during my sermon, the sermon that I, that I gave one day about kindness, <laughs> gotta be kind, right. Um, is that my, my, you know, someone called her skin dirty and it, it's happening. She was, she was six at the, at the time. It took about a year to erase that from her mind. It took three people to say it and about a year to work with her, to let her know she's beautiful 
and that she's made just the way she is. And one, the verse I would quote, it comes from one, Psalm 139. And so again, these conversations, I have these conversations with my children, especially my black boys, that, you know, listen, listen up. Do, you I know, can't wait till all of your kids come through the high school so oh. I can rapture them all. And let me tell you what, Andrea, my, my son looks up to you, right? I'm just letting you know, right? Uh-huh, thank you. He, he, he says that you would, you would be an advocate for, for him. Uh-huh. And so, you know, also my son does too. Pardon? <laughs> Telling her my son does too. Yeah. I mean, and this was out of the blue, right? He was just talking, um, answering some questions, you know, routine questions for the high school and t- mentioned your name saying you would be an advocate. Please let me, let me talk to Andrea, Andrea, I say Andrea, Andrea, if, <laughs> if, you know, if anything ever comes up. Mm. So that goes to show that conversations from a very young age help, I believe. Um, and also having role models and letting, you know, explain to our, our children that there are certain role models who you can, you can really rely on. It's really, it's, it's amazing to have advocates and talk about what that means and so on. And so having those, yes, I agree with you that having those hard conversations at a very young age and not shying away when my, my child comes home and talks about how it's not fair that black people were enslaved. I have to have a conversation with her, a hard one as a five-year-old. Although my, my youngest is really intuitive. She's something else she asks many many good questions so yeah so yeah so that's that's what i how you would i would that's how i raise my children about everything i'm talking about conversations about everything Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. yes wow y'all so so good my cup is literally full i'm going to be thinking about this for like the next two weeks or the next two years so great um, so unfortunately, we have to start winding down because it's almost eight o'clock at night <laughs> and tomorrow is Monday, y'all. So we're recording on a Sunday night. Oh, yeah. um, so ladies, I just have literally just a final question for you. A big focus of our podcast is activism. So we believe that justice is a verb. It's not just a noun. It's a verb. It entails action and praxis. So if you could give one action step to each of our listeners, what would it be? Just one thing that you would want them to do when it comes to being justice-minded. Listen. Self-reflect. Actively educate yourself. Elevate marginalized voices. So good. Mm. Okay, listeners, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And a huge thank you to our guests, Jordan, Brianna, Andrea, and Patience for joining us. Y'all, we have to have you back again because you are officially family. Yes, and You guys are officially yes. part of the Soldier Fam. And this has been awesome. Yes. So good. So, ladies, I know as, as, as we get ready to sign off here, a couple of you have ways, places that people can get a hold of y'all. Okay, so Jordan, I know you're 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 creative and you have a business, and so shout out um, how folks can find you. Like, what's your what's your uh, website and, and or or your Twitter or whatever? How do folks get a hold of you? Instagram. Yeah, you can <laughs> for sure. Instagram for sure. You can find me at Jordan J O R D Y N dot create, 
And then same thing for YouTube and Twitter, except there's no period in between. It's just short and create. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And Brianna, you're starting a podcast soon, or I don't know if you've already launched it or not, but um, yeah, t- tell us and, and tell the listeners how to, you know, how to find you when you're on and cracking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they can shoot me a, so I'm on LinkedIn most of the time. I'm not really trying to be on social media too much. So you can just shoot me a little LinkedIn, you know, um, invite connect Brianna Lawson on LinkedIn, but I am active on Instagram if I'm on any platform at all. And that is, um, to infinity and Brianna, that's my travel page. So let me spell that. (laughs) So you guys know, so it's T O underscore infinity underscore and underscore Brie, like Brianna, B R I. So I can give them the information if you guys got confused, but it's very simple. Like I'm the only one that's with that name. So. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for the podcast. It's coming. I don't want to say it too quickly, but <laughs> it's coming. Awesome. Thank you. And we will put those links in the, in the show notes. And so uh, Andrea and patience, uh, how about y'all? Do you want folks to find y'all on social or you want to be not like, nah, nah <laughs> I don't do that. All right. <laughs> I'm on social media. I just don't, I don't accept friend requests. So please don't send me friend requests. If you can find me, don't send me friend requests. <laughs> if you have any questions for Andrea, because as you can tell, she's so knowledgeable, you can filter them through me and I'll ask her. Yes. <laughs> yes. And same here. Perfect. My, my Facebook is private and yeah. I, I have way too many students, um, and you know, as an educator, you just gotta you gotta have some boundaries and whatnot. So, um, although you, if you do really want to look me up, I have a an, a work Facebook page. I don't know what you call them. I again, I'm I'm also not uh, on social media. Help me out, Brianna. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Follow her at Patience Lewis. Just, on that's right. Just just Patience. You'll, you'll see. Patience, you'll see it. <laughs> there we go. Well, that does it for us for now. So as always, if you like the show and you like the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, please rate the podcast, subscribe and share and drop us a review. So that's going to help us show up in the podcast ratings and help folks find us as we continue to grow our community. And as always, we can always use more soldiers. So, if you have questions about anything we covered on the episode, anything that the, uh, the episodes or anything that the ladies talked about, or if you want to suggest uh, episode ideas or want to just reach out to us, become a member of our community on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier again, or email us at hello at Christian And thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. And I'm Justine. And until next time, y'all, keep the faith. Peace. Us. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective, These Sisters, and Monarch Training and Development. Mm-hmm.